You are the brave red pioneers of Mars. You do what we could not do. You suffer so that others will flourish. Always remember that obedience is the highest virtue. Investigators are focusing in on terrorist group the Sons of Ares, who's believed to be behind the bombing that claimed the lives of an entire mining crew and technician group yesterday. But it's winter well on the way, the drafters have a new favorite emerging. Darrow Al Andromedus and fellow House Dranks, the Howlers, led a punishing assault on Pat Al Telemannus and House Minerva today. We'll break it all down for you, coming up next. You're of use because you're more than a weapon. When your wife died, she didn't just give you a vendetta. She gave you her dream. You're its keeper. Welcome to Hail Reaper. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 7 of Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend, Jeremy. How's it going, man? <laughs> it's good. And we got Tim in the house. What's up, Tim? Uh, hey, man. Um, Tim still doesn't have a mic. No, he hasn't earned it. Yeah, okay. Well, we're, we're still, the jury's still out on that. I think that people, we want you to write in and tell us why Tim has earned a mic or not earned a mic yet. <laughs> um, anyway, today's your day. It, it is, is the Mustang episode. I know it's a, it's a big deal for you. I'm stoked. You, yeah, because this is your favorite character in this the whole series. Mm -hmm. But we first meet her in Red Rising, and she plays a, an integral role in that. I normally open up. I normally kind of give a, a conversational flow to what we're going to do today. I want I want to give that opportunity to you because this is your favorite character in this story. So go for it, man. Absolutely. So I know you've talked about it in many of the previous podcasts, but we're a very Darrow-centric uh, podcast. And we look at these characters in, a, in reference to how they really relate to Darrow. <laughs> And how they influence him. So to kind of look at Mustang, we really have to kind of zoom out a little bit. And it's interesting. In doing my research for Mustang, it really dawned on me. I'm sure the listeners actually discovered this far before I did because yeah. I'm a little slow. But that's cool. okay. Um, but I, I realized that Daryl really goes through this metamorphosis, these three stages, you know, to where he basically becomes this beautiful butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> and the first stage. Darrow Vlykos, you know, we talked a lot about that. We, we had a whole episode on it, so we don't need to belabor, belabor that point. Yeah. So we're really going to start with kind of the second stage. And this is when he's a son of Ares. You know, he's, he's been carved now. Uh, he's gold. And you kind of look at Titus. And, and Titus really encapsulates, like, everything that that stage of Darrow is. The, the darkest timeline of Darrow. It is. He's angry. Yeah. You know, he... Uh, he just is, everything's predicated on power and domination mm -hmm. and kind of moving to the top of the pyramid and in essence, either eradicating gold completely mm -hmm. or just kind of moving them down in the chain so that they're the new slavers and, and gold becomes one of the enslaved. Yeah. And that's really kind of how he, how he acts and how he uh, kind of works through the, through that time. And uh, you know, Pierce actually really brings this to light in one of the quotes from Darrow that, that he says, and, and it's really Titus's death kind of is the pinnacle of that, mm -hmm. of that old life, that old self, the emotions and the motivations. And, and uh, Darrow says this, when Titus was alive, I was a symbol of goodness and hope. Then when he died, I became him. And it, I, I think it speaks to for itself. Yeah. <laughs> I know, you know, no, yeah. And uh, so what, what, what's interesting is then it, you kind of take that to the point where Cassius runs him through with the blade and leaves him to die in the mud. And for all intents and purposes, Darrow kind of does die. Yes. Um, at least 
in my analogy. Like, yeah, <laughs> for sure. The third, the, the first two acts are completely gone. And then we have this third act, what you're talking about, like, which is that butterfly story. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we have, and that's where Mustang comes in full view. Yeah. It's, it's awesome because he's dying in the mud at the end of act two or part two of the book, mm -hmm. like you said. And then part three opens up with Mustang rescuing him from the mud and taking him in. And Mustang kind of signifies this, this rebirth, this resurrection of, of Darrow mm -hmm. into the, into that butterfly kind of part of a metamorphosis. Yeah. And she really just becomes this, um, the signifier or a teacher of, of love and leadership and trust and order. And she really teaches him all of this stuff. And it really kind of packs itself into a very short time. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, that part in the movie where you think you can leave to go to the restroom yeah, yeah. and then you do and you're screwed. Yes. It's you come like back that. And you're like, wait, what happened? Like, it wasn't an action scene. I thought I could leave. <laughs> For sure. No, I like, I, want, I really want to address some of the things you just said and kind of talk about them a little bit more and extrapolate on them. So when I'm preparing for uh, this episode, I'm reading through chapters, pretty much 34, 35, because I know that's what we're really addressing. We're not addressing Mustang, the adversary of, uh, like, you know, as a House Minerva student, but more as she comes into the story in full view as a partner with Daryl. Right. And kind of they, as they move forward together. And that's kind of what I, where I want to start off with. And so there's a quote that really like, just jumped off my page when I was preparing for the episode and it's Darrow's internal dialogue. And he says, she is something new, something hopeful, like spring to my deep winter. So I, I love the analogy, but at the same time, I just kind of stewed on it. I'm thinking about, you know, she is new. She's very new and she, you can't like just, you can't place her with anything that's the stories presented before. But at the same time, the more I thought about it, she does play an old function, has old roles to her. Mm -hmm. And that I was thinking about what she does for the story and for Darrow, because that's what you said. That's the, that's the point of the podcast, to be on Darrow's journey. And she, and, and first and foremost, as far as roles go, she's Darrow's partner. And you, you have to think back, well, when did Darrow actually have a partner before? And I think it's probably Eo, because you can't say Dancer and you can't say Cassius, because maybe Cassius was, but then it went terribly wrong. Right. And so they don't play as, as partners anymore. But the first and only partner that he's really had up until this point in the story was Eo. And so she fulfills that, that role. And you see Darrow at his best with a partner. I mean, if you go back to that Darrow Vlykos episode we talked about, I know we have like our problems with him because he's like cocky, <laughs> arrogant kind of guy. But you look at his confidence and you look at kind of how his comfort level. And he was just at his best in those, in those functions. And so I, I want to talk more about the the kind of the parallels between EO and Mustang. You have a really good way. You talk about this blurring effect that they two have. So speak to that. Okay. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the language that, that Pierce uses, you know, when, when it comes up, there's this like uh, this literary device kind of, I, I guess, in a, in a way that mm -hmm. he uses. And that's that Darrow's coming back to consciousness. And he's kind of uh, coming out of stabbed. delirium. Yeah. Yeah, after being stabbed. Mm -hmm. And he's he's been unconscious for three or four weeks mm -hmm. in the, in the cave and he sees uh he sees mustang but he thinks he's seen eo and you know it's like a blonde eo yeah and she's missing her red sigils yeah and like you said there's this this blurring you know and and i don't think pierce is writing that to just signify that you know he got his bell rung really bad yeah i, I don't think that's the point of what he's saying i i really think that this is a baton handoff, mm. that the function of Eo and what she brought to Darrow and what she meant to his character uh, is now being passed on 
uh, to Mustang. And mm-hmm. that's why you get that blurriness there. Yeah, and yeah. he says, like, I always knew she could be golden. Like mm-hmm. he's And he's referencing EO. Because he even says, like, if you go back to that, like, um, I think the third chapter is when he's talking about his own sigils on his hands and how they feel like home to him. Yeah, but then right. on, but on EO's hands, when he's feeling her sigils, the red sigils, they feel out of place, out of sorts. And he kind of, he back, all the way back then, references she kind of should be gold or she she should be better than these red sigils give offer her. And now he's kind of trying to feel that out and manifest it. And again, it's not just this like, he just got stabbed and so he's like kind of coming out of this coma state. It's there is this kind of like meshing of these characters in his mind, but also Pierce Brown is actually illustrating it to you because of the roles and the functions that are happening with these two characters. They both play that primary partnership. You have another thing you want to talk about between the two characters too. It's like kind of like how they jab at Daryl and stuff. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you talk about the function again of, mm-hmm. of EO and Mustang and how they're similar. And EO, we know, was really good at um, de-escalating uh, Darrow's <laughs> rage. It's a popular term these days. <laughs> it is. And, you know, she would calm him down and she, she had this um, way of doing it. And mm-hmm. it was kind of to poke at him a little bit. Yeah. And we see that in spades with Mustang. Like, so she's, good. She's so good at it. She's the queen of having like that sardonic mocking sense of humor. Yeah. And it just works. I mean, I don't suggest like mocking everybody as a sense of humor. I mean, some people don't respond. If you make well. fun of Tim, he'll punch you in the face. Yeah. He, yeah. He's done it to me a few yeah. times. <laughs> okay, keep, keep going. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it, when you encapsulate that into this and, and repackage it, I guess, is the way that Mustang does it mm-hmm. with, with love and adoration. Yeah. And just with the character that, that Darrow has, um, that's how he responds. Is, is it just calms him, and he can he can come out of that those rage moments and, and have clarity for sure. So here's the other kind of big illustration that we have between the two characters, both Eo and Mustang. That I, I was thinking about again. This quote is the origin of all these thoughts for me. By the way, that whole like she is spring to my deep winter. But I was thinking about like that partnership role and how they function and how they contrast and how they all work together. Mm-hmm. And I, I I couldn't help but think about chapter four, the gift, that's the name of the chapter, back when Eo and Daryl are in this garden. And so think about what the garden is. It's this tight, small space for these two characters to singularly share intimacy together. And then to eventually launch into a conversation that shows that they are going completely different directions uh, in life. And they're gonna, it's gonna end badly. You can kind of feel that or get a sense of that right. uh, there. And But that's also where Live for More came from. This is iconic quote, that's probably one of the most iconic quotes from the entire series. So then you kind of flash forward or blur. You know, that's a term we're kind of using. 30 chapters later, all the way to chapter 34. And you end up with a two characters, a, a partnership type uh, archetype character with a Mustang. And they're in this tight space, the cave. And they're sharing intimate moments, not sexual uh, moments like they were with Eo, but like, you know, intimacy in this new way where it's kind of a sharing of, of thought, sharing of ideas, and they're cohesive. Mm-hmm. And live for more is something that Mustang actually says. And it's kind of jarring. And Daryl, we'll talk about that in best quotes because we're going to talk about that whole like section there. <laughs> um, it's kind of jarring for you, the reader. You're like, oh my gosh, like it's EO2, but like in a in a different way, in a good way, and in a new way. Here's the really crazy thing about this. EO is red, and EO is his wife. And then Mustang is someone he's just getting to know and gold. Yet they're having the same conversation in a similar type space. That's wild. And 
And it's 30, exactly 30 chapters later. The caves. <laughs> yeah, exactly 30 chapters later. But yet Darrow is on track now. He understands what it takes and what it means. He understands through Dancer and all these other characters that he's met, what Live for More really needs to be. And uh, it allows Mustang to really uh, influence him and in how that takes shape. Do you have anything you want to throw in about Mustang-EO comparison or you want me to keep going with the more archetype kind of comparison? Yeah, just keep rolling. Okay, here we go. So there's another function that Mustang offers to the story. And that is that she becomes a lot like Dancer. So there's the, there, I know we'll talk about this a little more later too. There's a really fun scene where both Darrow and Mustang are out and they're hunting and they get a, a group of wolves come and Darrow is mesmerized by this, like for some reason, because this sounds like a terrifying thing to happen. A group of wolves just show up and you're like, oh, cool. But he's like, hey, this is how we should fight. And she's like, okay, pump the brakes, bro. Like, we're not going to talk about that yeah. right now. This is we a great got, scene because yeah. she just like puts him off. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that later. Yeah. Though. Okay. So no, but like, this is how we should fight. It's like, no, let's, let's take care of the, these wolves right now. And they end up like, you know, you fast forward a little bit. And they end up taking down the pack leader of the wolves. And the whole rest of the pack just kind of flees away. So Mustang's like, hey, you can't fight like this. Look what happened. You know, we took down the pack leader and then all the wolves just pieced out. This doesn't work. But it leads, I'm not going to get into this yet, but it leads into, or we're not going to get this yet. It leads into a greater conversation. And I recommend going back and reading it if you haven't done so in a while, where these two characters are like sharing like the ideas of what it what it means to build an army and how they should function and work mm. together and how they need to uh, kind of make stuff happen. And so again, she is this kind of she facilitates this role, this guide and teacher, like dancer was. And so I think that kind of the, the bigger lesson here is that you can't just completely leave behind the red people in the story. In a sense, right. you do you leave their physical representation behind, but Pierce Brown brings them all the way back chapters and chapters later and puts them into Mustang because Darrow needs a guide. He needs someone to be there to kind of give him directionality and he needs a partner. And and that's when he's better. That's when he's at his best. And I love that Pierce doesn't just go, okay, like I'm just getting rid of these archetypes or getting rid of these characters. He just throws them back into Mustang despite her being gold and despite her being um, something completely new and different to the story. Um, I have one more thing. Okay. But you, okay, you ready? Again, in that conversation though, these conversations about how they're building, how they want to build their army. It is a really cool call out um, that they're talking about the strategies and they, they kind of think how we're going to develop this. We can't do the wolf pack mentality thing, but they decide they're going to do, they're going to use oath breakers to build this army and they're going to use autonomy as the way that they're going to kind of build everyone up. And I, Darrow, am the leader, and you, Mustang, are a leader, but we are no greater or bigger than the rest of us. And if you think about this, it is like, it's not just a, a way to win the game, win the Institute. The, Pierce Brown is actually creating an illustration for how they're going to reshape society in future books. And I, I, I when I read that, I like kind of critically, I was like blown away. I was like, holy crap, they're talking about like strategies that are going to be used in books two, three, four, five. And like <laughs> right. how they're building, Pierce Brown's building that right here in these little, again, this cave scene, this intimate moment between the two characters. Okay. Uh, that's, I just wanted to say that. So, okay. <laughs> no, you, no, no, this scene, this scene is, no, I, I really enjoy this scene. And uh, th- this is great because in the cave, Mustang becomes this bus driver. And she's taken Dara to school <laughs> <Bus> constantly. <driver. laughs> that analogy will never get old. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, she just kind of uses this language, you know, 
like slaves are stupid. Yeah. You know? and, and she shows him the, the thing with the hands. And even though Darrow was able to do it, he still understands the point of it where mm-hmm. you can't move your fingers, you know, clockwise and counterclockwise independently because your, your central brain uh, can't dictate both, both motions at yes. the same time. And how, like you said, they're developing the strategy with the oath breakers that um, you don't need a central brain. You have to have independent thinkers and mm-hmm. operators kind of at, at a lower level. For sure. And all of this just talking about the wolf scene, talking about the the hands and stuff just really makes me chomp at the bit for uh for my Chomp at the bit? Is that a is that a horse joke? Yes. Okay. That's a Mustang joke. It's <laughs> a Mustang joke. I get it. I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. But for my Easter egg, that's what I want. Yeah, so let's go for it. You want to talk about your Easter egg that you discovered, uh, and this is a a fun one for people that have read a different series. Yeah, so this one at face value seems very on the nose. Um if you remember from episode three, uh, the dancer episode, uh, we talked about the Easter egg of Osgiliath and how uh, J.R. Tol- Tolkien was actually brought in as, a, as kind of this historical figure that, mm-hmm. and the story's real, right? And here in chapter 34, uh, Darrow's speaking to Fitchner about uh, how the proctors are cheating uh, for the arch governor's uh, son. Mm-hmm. And uh, Darrow says this, so the kid is what? A predestined Alexander? A Caesar? A Genghis? A Wigan, I ask? This is slagging nonsense. And it, it, so you have these greats in history that, that most people are going to be familiar with. And then you have Wigan. And mm-hmm. most people, even if you haven't read Ender's Game, understand that this is reference to Ender Wigan. Yeah. And that's what I mean by it's very on. I found this out on Reddit. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay. like a while ago. My brother actually had to, had did to he call show it for you? me. Okay, yeah. cool, yeah. He caught it. So, uh, but here's what's interesting is the language itself is very similar uh, to a quote by uh, Colonel Graff in Ender's Game. Okay. And that's kind of where it gets a little deeper and, and more fun. So I'm going to read a, a, a quote from chapter four of Ender's Game. I won't lie now either, said Graff. My job isn't to be friends. My job is to produce the best soldiers in the world, in the whole history of the world. We need a Napoleon, an Alexander, except that Napoleon lost in the end and Alexander flamed out and died young. We need a Julius Caesar, except that he made himself a dictator and died for it. My job is to produce such a creature and all the men and women he'll need for him or he'll need to help him. Nowhere in that does it say I have to make friends with children. <laughs> so <laughs> he just he throws down the, like, the last sentence. It's pretty harsh. Okay, keep Colonel, going. Colonel Graf rocks, by the okay, way. Cool. So uh, you have these, these kind of comparative uh, kind of way it's written. Mm-hmm, you know, I, don't, sure. I don't think that's by accident. But another really fun thing is, is uh, that, you know, Graf is pointing out the greats of history and saying that he needs to make one of them. Yes. In, in Ender. And then you kind of have uh, Pierce kind of giving this nod almost not only to Ender as a great leader. Yeah. Um, but he's actually giving a nod to Colonel Graf saying like, dude, you succeeded. Yes. You made one of the greats in history. So job yeah. well done, Graf. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's actually adds confirmation that he became legit great. Yeah. And then uh, so you kind of like, you know, loop that back in real quick for my for my Ender reference here. Okay. And uh, for the deep deep people here. We talked about the the moving independently yeah. and kind of not having a central figure. The hands moving independently. Exactly. Yeah. Like that is a very, very Ender's Game uh, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's definitely not an accident there. So uh, Ender and Bean actually strategize and make that. And then you actually called out a great thing that also made me think about this is yeah, that uh, kind of making the Oath Breakers, you know, Bean actually drafts Ender's uh, his little army that he that he uses in battle school. And he actually uses um, the dregs and the and the oh breakers. like yeah the dreg yeah and because because they don't have that mentality where they're used to just 
the same old, same old, you know, they have one central leadership. They don't know how to work outside the box, you know? Okay. So it's like a clean slate that they're able to work with. So just a fantastic nod kind of going to that. And then the fact that Mustang, um, she's kind of creating this, like this kind of army archetype, I guess, right? She is creating it. And to kind of flash back to that scene in the cave though, you know, one, one thing that Mustang said, or that Darrow actually says to Mustang, because Mustang lays it all out, right? Completely. Mm-hmm. What needs to happen? And she has this intellect that's amazing. Yes. And Darrow kind of looks at her and is like, why didn't you just do that with Minerva? Like, I don't mm-hmm. understand why, like, why are we doing this now? You know? Yeah. And she's, she kind of clearly says, I couldn't. Yeah. Like I wasn't able to. And that's okay. So I wanted to, I wanted to mention this earlier and I forgot, but you see that like when it with, I was talking about the, the role that she plays like dancer, you see that for all three of these characters, EO, Dancer, and Mustang, they all look at Darrow and they recognize that he has this it factor, this mm-hmm. it quality that I, even I, after reading these books so many times and kind of idolizing this guy as a fictional character, I can't really explain either, but we know that he can get it done and they know he can get it done. And it's like Mustang just couldn't do it. Or why aren't Dancer and Aries just doing this? Why do they need Darrow to do all this stuff, like infantry and train him and change his body? Like, and why does EO need to die for this to happen? Like all these things need to happen. And they know that. And they're pushing him and pushing him to, to be, to live for more, to break the chains, yada, yada. But it's because this guy is so special and they recognize that and they're just thrusting him forward. And yeah. Mustang probably couldn't just do that, but she, she needs Darrow to be a partner with her as well as he needs her as well. Like they need to be together rather. Yeah. She has that amazing intellect where she understands and can fully fathom everything that needs to happen, you know, as we probably see parts of that with Dancer. But like you said, Darrow has that it factor. He has mm-hmm. that leadership quality. It's hard to really place, you know, for our French listeners, he has that je ne sais quoi about him. <laughs> and you know, she can't do it, you know, and yeah. she needs him and she understands that though. And then uh, one quick last touch for gotcha. my, for my Ender's game. Full circle. Yeah. Full circle is, I think that Mustang is being Julian Delfiki. Okay. So I've never read Ender's game. Okay. So if someone disagrees, uh, hailreaperpod at gmail.com and you can address the email to Jeremy. We'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. You got it. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do Mustang quotes and just go through the, these three. Um, go ahead and read the first one. We'll react to it. Second one, react to it. And third, go. Oh, very much so, Sir Reaper. I like people more than you do. You are the wolf that howls and bites. I am the Mustang that nuzzles the hands. People know they can work with me. With you, hell, kill or be killed. Okay, so the best part about this is just the very intro. Like, oh, very much so, Sir Reaper. Just like <laughs> really mocking. Yeah. Kind of like in that taking that jab and it being totally comfortable and, and feeling right that she does that. I think mean, there's a whole lesson <laughs> that comes behind the, uh, that very first part. But when I read that, I can't help, but just like be attracted to how funny she is. Oh, absolutely. And then, and like, that's like, Oh, very much so. Yeah. Hey, yeah, and this, this actually is like this callback to another scene where Darrow, uh, tells her she needs to go get him a standard uh-huh. and kind of commands her. And she does this mocking bow or curtsy or something to him. <laughs> and it's the same kind of thing. It's like, Oh, very much so, Sir Reaper, you know? And yeah. I, just, I, I do. I love how she mocks him. For sure. But then again, there's the whole like thing, like like there's a Titus analogy that's kind of brought into this, like kill, kill or be killed and yada yada. But we, we kind of already talked about that a little bit. Go ahead and read that second quote. And what was that about blood brothers? That means absolutely nothing. You might as well have said you were pinecone cousins. <laughs> yeah. Again. <laughs> okay. A super good bar. Great laughs. Um, this is an all timer in the Red Rising series. <laughs> 
Um, she's the funniest character to me. Might be controversial, might be taking Severo's throne away from him. I think she's funnier than Severo in this book. I don't think that's the, the case for the entire series. Uh, I think Severo kind of grabs that, that grabs the crown from that. Yeah, but, email Philip directly about that <laughs> and argue with him. Okay, for sure. But <laughs> she just she's funny. Like she's just got like pinecone cousins. Like yeah. she's he okay, set the scene. She's picking out like crap from his back after it's being whipped almost half to death <laughs> she's making fun of him for it like yes. she's like blood brothers like really bro like <laughs> that's like what you came up with in that moment like so it's it's really funny how she's able to get away with all that and i think it speaks to darrow uh, as well too he's so into her that he just lets her get away or he's oblivious which i'm i don't think that's the case i think he just lets her like make fun of him because it is a diffuser for him in a way but it's also that he just like he just he's so like into her that he just lets it kind of happen. Yeah, I think I think most people are thinking of Severa when they think of the book's humor mm-hmm. uh, and the kind of the comic relief character. But but I, I I agree in that like Mustang is incredibly funny and there's something so absolutely endearing about like PG humor mm-hmm. <laughs> in a yeah, way. Yeah. You know it, because there's dynamics like Pierce writes with these dynamics right like um, Severo is definitely that forte you know yes. and then, but but you have it because you have this like cute kind of sense of humor and then yeah. just this punch you know that yeah. comes in with several makes it all yeah, the better several's r-rated humor and then you have uh, <laughs> mustang is the family friendly humor um okay so we'll go ahead and this is a quote the third quote is a more of a conversation i guess it's a chunk of of dialogue and also inner dialogue from darrow too so go ahead and kind of read this uh, i think darrow talks first and then mustang and then followed by daryl's internal dialogue sometimes i forget that the institute is meant to teach me things i say to mustang the golden girl tilts her head at me like how we must live for more? Her words strike my heart. They echo through time from another's lips. Live for more, more than power, more than vengeance, more than what we're given. I must learn better than them, not simply beat them. That is how I will help Reds. I am a boy, I am foolish, but if I learn to become a leader, I can be more than an agent of the sons of Ares. I can give my people a future. That is what Eo wanted. I think it just comes back. We're talking full circle here, you know, where um, we talk about how she's something new, right? And this is something new. It, it, it's very familiar. It is this live for more conversation that was start, started by EO all the way back in chapter four. But she she's interjecting a newness into that old kind of feeling, that old live for more mantra. She's unlocking it, I would say. That's the role that she really does play. If you're talking about like, She's something new to my deep winter, kind of making sure we're kind of full circle with that quote. I think she's just allowing Darrow to become completely open, completely unlocked and explore what that means. Because for him, I think that live for more and break the chains, those were sour in his mouth and sour in his head because the end result of that was EO dying. And now we come full circle here um, with these quotes being kind of re-brought up or rebirthed. Uh, I can, you know, kind of the, the beautiful butterfly thing now. Right. Yeah. And, and he's embracing them and accepting them and and realizing with this girl with this partner i can achieve greatness i can i you know i can help reds in a new way and i i love that about mustang and that's why she's this new character and she's i mean the things that she's not um that aren't like the old uh characters like the she's a guide she's a partner but this is what she is she's brilliant she's funny and she's totally cool like i mean honestly like she's just super cool yeah i agree i think this quote just really packages what we've talked about for this episode up in mm-hmm. this nice little box. You know, it's it's really Darrow coming to the self-realization of how silly his plan was before. 
and how he didn't really, yeah. he just lacked an understanding of what actually needed to happen. And here he has Mustang who uh, just kind of has it all together and understands it. And he's still perplexed by the fact that she's a gold, but she just teaches him so much and just helps him change that worldview. And you really just, that theme continues of what we were talking about is death and rebirth. For sure. Why don't you go ahead and uh, give some final thoughts on Mustang before we, uh, we're going to do one more thing after you're done with that. So go ahead and give some final thoughts on Mustang and uh, then we'll go ahead and move on to one more thing before we get out of here. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, you know, looking through this and kind of talking about how that baton or that blurring effect has happened between the function of EO and that of Mustang and just kind of understanding how much value she really brought to the table and her influence on, on Darrow's arc and how he's able to move forward and, and just understand what needs to happen to actually bring reds out of oppression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we've basically made a pretty decent argument that, that would say that um, she's actually the most influential character to Darrow in the first book, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's probably an argument out there. I'm not saying there isn't, but for another character. I, but so, I, think, there's, I think we've kind of laid out a, a solid argument that so I believe in. Who are your candidates? Your candidates are EO. EO. And then it's dancer Julian and Mustang. Yeah, I would say I would say most people would probably argue one of those four. Yeah, and I, I can't you can't really say Julian because I don't think he was really directly influential. But here's the thing: dancer is obviously an influencer, and he's kind of giving that. So I think, but it's not as heavy handed as maybe Eos was. Eos second place for I sure, think. and I think so too. But for the argument's sake, I just want to explore that just a little bit. Eo for. As beautiful as she is, because I, I would agree, if anyone that wants to say she's beautiful, she totally is in this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she has a, she's a very specific purpose, and we've explored that a lot on the EO episode, even though you and I have a struggle with that. The thing about it is, I don't know if she was really influential. I would kind of push it back. I would push back on that. The idea that uh, Mustang is totally influential because she's kind of taking him in, uh, like kind of next to her, uh, and they're, they're kind of striding together. They're going forward together, and she's influencing how he thinks about new things and stuff. Eo didn't really give him a choice. She just said, I'm making you go and do this now. In a sense, she took herself, you used that analogy, took herself off the chessboard mm-hmm. so that Daryl could play. And you said that like back in episode two. Uh, so I don't know if she's really influential as much as she just kind of didn't really offer a choice. So I think Mustang really is the most influential character yeah. in the story. Eo definitely started the ball rolling. Yeah, um, of course. And and that's huge. Right? The whole thing couldn't happen without her. I get it. The whole series couldn't happen without right. her. It's not. But, but, the way that Mustang just forms Darrow's minds and thoughts about how this is supposed to work mm. is just, we're arguing this more impactful, you yeah. know, than, than EOS. For sure. Let's do one more thing. All right. And then we'll, we'll peace out. Okay. So we want to say, I give a shout out to one of a uh, five-star review we have here. This is uh, Emmeline. We just want to say thank you, Emmeline. I'm going to read this as best I can. I'm not a good out loud reader. So, <laughs> uh, but just say thank you. So she says about the Hail Reaper podcast on iTunes, Anybody who loves the Red Rising series should add this podcast to their list. The hosts are engaging. Oh, thank you. And well-versed in the series, thank you. And I absolutely love their uh, uh, opening sequences. Thank you. We love them too. They're really fun. The quality and sound and editing is a pleasant surprise for a new podcast. Yeah, because this is what, our seventh podcast right now? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well, So a shout out to Emmeline. Thank you so much for the review. We really appreciate that. We want to read more reviews as we go on. You have something I think, to say? I think Emmeline is one of our patrons, right? Yeah. She also, so a double shout out to Emmeline because yeah, she's absolutely. a patron. I don't uh, know why she kept saying thank you in her review of us though. 
No, <laughs> I was saying that. Oh, you are so a bad outlier. A lot of people have um, come up to, you know, not come up to us uh, physically, but they have approached us and said, like, online, like, we love your, like, your opening sequences and your kind of your, the HC, like, things that we do. The, and that's all done by Tim, who is our sound engineer, our sound designer, excuse me, and our engineer. Tim is a really cool guy, fun to work with, but he also costs money. And so, <laughs> and so how you can help us and we can create more of this stuff is by becoming a patron and it's only one buck a month. And then what you get with that is you do get to the opportunity to uh, get a bonus podcast we'll do once a month, which is different from our normal feed for one, but two, uh, we want it once we get a big enough pool of patrons, we want to be able to have you guys control and dictate what those episodes are going to be about. We'll like put up up to like a voting system or something like that, but we've got a few right now. And we're excited to get more. So if you haven't uh, considered that yet, so that's a buck a month. We'd, we'd love for you to come on board and be a part of the team. We're really interactive with Patreon. Like we're like on there talking to people. If you have questions, we're there. If you have messages, we're there. Like we want it to be a really a fun place for you to be our patron for sure. Yep. Anything else you want to add to that? No, I mean, if they want to find it and go check it out, yes. you know, there's, there's some stuff you can read about exactly what you're going to get for both tiers. We actually have a $5 tier as well. And you can find that at patreon.com forward slash Hail Reaper. Yeah, for sure. Anything else? No, I think it's good. Cool. Until next time, Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Thanks to Pierce Brown for writing the beloved Red Rising series. A special thanks to Tim, our engineer and sound designer. Check out his music on Spotify by looking for the link in our podcast description. And thanks to all our contributors who made this show possible. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your respective podcast platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Hail Reaper Pod, and you can email us at hailreaperpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, please take a look on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Hail Reaper. Until next time, for my co-host, Philip, I'm Jeremy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>